Well, again, thank you so much, Christ City, for welcoming me back. Let's just breathe a moment together, connecting to our own breath, the breath of those gathered in this space, the breath of creation, and the breath of our Creator. So I love the month of March, and it's mostly because I'm a March baby, uh, so I have a lifetime of memories that highlight joy and laughter and celebration this month. But this year, I'd love to blame it on the wonky weather or my allergies or daylight savings time, but something this month just feels off right now and I'm seeing it and feeling it in everyone around me. We are officially in season three of the COVID pandemic. It was two liturgical years ago last week that most of us in Memphis switched to online worship. Um, a Facebook memory popped up for me that was like two years ago where I asked parents what sort of resources they wanted and what sort of support they might need if their kids were in fact home for two whole weeks of spring break. Where we have been in the past two years. <clears throat> so if, like me, you are noticing that this Lent feels extra Lenty, you're not alone. We are collectively and individually exhausted empty, needing so much to simply survive. So give yourself some grace and space to honor and reflect on the multitudes that these past two years contain. Let's take another deep breath. As I was reflecting with our text for today, I was also reflecting on the previous seasons of the pandemic, and I was pregnant in March of 2020, and I was extremely cautious throughout that year where I went or why I went anywhere. The only places I went were places that directly cared for me, my body, and my pregnancy, nowhere else. So a little over a year ago, I was double vaxxed as one of my ministries is also as a chaplain for Methodist hospitals, so I was on the early list for the COVID-19 vaccine, and the first thing I chose to do, still masked, of course, was to get a pedicure. Of all the different things I didn't do during the pandemic, I really missed getting a pedicure. So that's what I did. I know not everyone is a pedicure person. Interestingly, not everyone is a foot washing person. What is, I believe, universally true is that there is something deeply intimate about the act of someone, at, of someone at your feet. It is an exploration of vulnerability that is a journey in and between being uncomfortable and being cared for. And that's what I longed for a year into the pandemic. I longed for proximity to intimacy. I longed to be with others and I longed for my feet not to be gross in so many ways. I love that Jesus, in one of his final acts of ministry in the book of John, washes the disciples' feet 
and commands him them to do the same. Jesus is asking for his disciples to be intimate with one another. Now I have a confession to make, and it's a thing that I had ample opportunity uh, to know before this week, both as a pastor's kid and then you know, someone who went to seminary and has been ordained for a while. The story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet that we just read, which is only described in the book of John, does not occur with communion. It says they ate a meal, but not the meal that we would recognize as communion. Just like we have smushed together the story of Jesus' birth into the linear Christmas pageant plotline, we, at least I, have also smushed together the stories of the events that lead up to Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think in this very Lenty Lent, it behooves us to read our scripture with a renewed openness to its wisdom. Of the four gospels that made the cut into what we know as the New Testament, John was most likely the last to be written down and codified. It is because of this that there's more of like a, a narrative or a story vibe compared to the other gospels, which at time just kind of read like a checklist of events. Early theology was already being figured out and the lines of who was and who wasn't Christian was being figured out. This is why in the book of John, the narrative around Judas is much more flushed out than in other accounts as early Christians were trying to make sense of how Jesus could possibly have been crucified, a death reserved for enemies of the state. And a note here, which is particularly important, as I know y'all have been hanging out with this idea of sin and unpacking its meaning this Lent. When scripture says, as the translation I read today, that the devil had prompted Judas, this isn't like the devil with like the horns and the pitchfork. That devil is nowhere in scripture. That's just from Dante's Inferno and subsequent art that captured the imaginations of many who then came to encounter Jesus. So just like the concept of sin has evolved over time since our scripture and got pushed, smushed with popular culture, so too has the devil been smushed with popular culture. Because in fact here, the devil means accuser, or in the Jewish understanding, the adversary, this force that is in relationship with God, but it is a tenacious, dynamic force that is slanderous and malicious. So here we are with Jesus at the disciples at some point before his death, and Jesus does something radical. He takes off his outer cloak and washes his disciples' feet. I love the back and forth that he has with Simon Peter. Bless Simon Peter's heart. He is a crazy character. Whether he's jumping out of boats or absolutely certain he won't deny Jesus, he is all in even if he is not all there. So during Jesus's time, foot washing was performed by slaves to their masters with a towel around their neck for easy access to wipe and dry. The towel is similar to the stole that I grabbed this morning. It's a gift from my mother-in-law that is both practical and theological. And this is where uh, the tradition of pastors wearing stoles comes from. It comes from this story. 
Uh, it's to be a visual reminder to the pastor and the people of the nature of the office of pastor as one not just of humility, but of intimacy. <clears throat> now, I was not raised in a worshiping community that did foot washing on any regular basis. There was always like a disgust, a resistance, whatever it was, the idea of literally washing feet whenever it would come up would be met with a huh? I can't tell you the number of times that I've been ready at a service to wash feet and have had no one participate. There is something seemingly taboo about actually living out this act of discipleship. Now, I admire communities who continue this literal practice of foot washing. Um, one of my dear friends was, is ordained in the Church of the Brethren, and in their tradition, they have what is called a love feast, which centers around this specific passage in John and the request of Jesus, of his disciples, to wash one another's feet. And in the love feast, a foot washing is reciprocal, meaning that everyone gives and everyone receives. It's a beautiful expression of vulnerability and humility. Something I find fascinating is that for folk in the Christian world who take scripture more literally than I do, they skirt around this direct command of Jesus or this request to wash one another's feet. And honestly, despite this being a passage that many of us who grew up in the church know, it's not really one we do much with. I wonder why that is. This passage calls us into a deep moment of connection with others in a tangible, practical, flesh and bones connection way. This is what Jesus asked of his disciples and of us. What is our response? And what is our response when for the past two years, all of us have been traumatized and reoriented to view another's body near us as dangerous. The gospel of John is consistently about the intimacy with Christ. This is one of the challenges of our time. How do we remain connected, hands touching feet connected? And why do we avoid this type of intimacy with others despite the Jesus ask? <clears throat> Amanda Palmer is a uh, singer-songwriter who, when my husband heard that that was going to be my summary of her, said, no, 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 no. Amanda Palmer is the founder of, and I need to get this right, the founder of the punk cabaret movement, and she is the rock god of America's theater dorks. <laughs> Take whichever summary speaks to you. So I was introduced to Amanda Palmer when my husband said, like, hey, Brene Brown wrote the foreword of this book that I think you might like. My husband knows I have a love of Brene Brown, who I call the patron saint of vulnerability. So in her book, which was inspired by a TED Talk a few years back, Palmer explores her journey as an artist, from a street performer to a rocker to a crowdfunding record breaker to wife to friend. And throughout all of it, she notes the fundamental building block of any relationship is asking. 
Now my son, who is almost 17 months old at this point, from the beginning I've wanted to be one of those cool parents who introduces sign language to their kids, so we've done that his whole life. And just like maybe two months ago, I introduced the sign for help, and I'll address why it took so long for me to, to teach my kid the idea of naming what he needs uh, with my therapist later this week, but ever since he has had this tool to communicate an ask, a request, our relationship has deepened. I know what he needs and I can respond, or at least I can kind of figure it out. The simple tool of asking has changed my relationship to him as, my mom, as, a, as his mom. So if you're like me, I have all sorts of hangups when it comes to asking. And I mean like asking, asking for my deep needs, my deep desires. Any other people struggle with asking? Any who am I kidding? I struggle to ask for simple requests in my relationship, right? Where did the struggle to name our needs to ask come from? It certainly wasn't from God. Maybe it's from that dang adversary. The lines on repeat in my head when I have an ask are, don't be a burden. You have so much, just be grateful. That's selfish. You can do it yourself. What are the lines in your head that play on repeat? Who do they sound like? For many of us, we're following the message of how we were raised or by what society has told us to be true about asking. But I think the most common reason we don't ask is because we're afraid. We're afraid of hearing no, of being dismissed, of being ignored. So instead of risking the yes, we pour out from our own cup over and over again. There have been multiple times in my life and my ministry where I have poured from an empty cup and it has caused harm in my life and my ministry. My inability to name a need and to accept help has caused harm to myself and others. And I don't want that to be my son's story. That's certainly not the Jesus story. Asking is hard because of all of these lies that run amok in our head. Amanda Palmer writes, asking for help with shame says you have power over me. Asking with condescension says I have power over you but asking for help with gratitude says we have the power to help each other. Asking for help with gratitude says we have the power to help each other. And that's the Jesus ask later in the scripture today in verse 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples. Loving one another means asking and receiving help with gratitude. It means not just washing the feet of others, but getting our own feet washed. 
It means not just handing out the meals to those in need, but asking to be fed. It means not just showing up for someone else in their grief, but receiving company in our own. And knowing and trusting that we are worthy of that gift. How in the world do we invite this holy shift? I said shift. How do we invite this holy shift to ask for help with gratitude? Because this, this is what I see in the passage of John for us today in this 2022 edition of Lent. I see the Christ deeply grateful for the relationships he has with all of his disciples, including the ones who will hurt him including the ones who will deny him, including the ones who will abandon him, including, including, including. And even though he knows, he knows that some of his asks are gonna be met with a hard no, he trusts his disciples and by extension us enough to ask. The Greek word command in those verses to love one another can also be translated as a charge that is more focused on the end result, not just the immediate ask. Jesus was and continues to be focused on the end result of a world that is full of asking and receiving in gratitude, a love that not only gives, but a love that receives. This passage is calling us deeper into this Lenten journey for us to risk the ask of one another, to risk being fully seen and trusting that the risk will be worth it. Because as Palmer says, when we really do see one another, we really do want to help each other. <clears throat> and the hard part is to really see each other, we gotta get close in order to ask from this holy space of gratitude. What this looks like in pandemic season three, God only knows, but I imagine it's gonna look a lot like foot washing. Now I'm about to say something that might rock some boats and that's just fine. I think we've given up enough in the past two years. I don't think this Lenten journey requires us to give up chocolate or our Friday lattes for Lent. I, I know that God is waiting in this Lenten journey for us to ask. What haven't you asked for that you know you need to receive to not just survive, but to thrive? The thing that you haven't asked because it feels too greedy, too menial, too insert your shame narrative of choice, you know what it is. And you know who the ask is to. I invite you to picture and be with that ask right now. And invite Christ into that ask. Invite the Holy Spirit to shift you into a place of gratitude. Christ showed up in the person of Jesus and had the ask of those he loved to love one another as he loved them and made that known in washing feet. Surely, surely God will be present in your ask. 
It is only when we can release our own fears, our worn tapes in our head around asking that God will be able to most freely show up in the hands and feet of the people in your life who are waiting to say yes. From this place of gratitude and trust, it is only then that we will be able to turn to our neighbor and ask them for what we need and for them to do so in return. So we need to honor and trust this feeling of emptiness, of confusion, of grief that is palpable for us as we reflect on the past two years. It is from this place we are primed to truly trust that God is waiting for us to ask and will answer. Amen.